So today, I want to talk to you about the joy of giving. Now, this is not going to be a, a typical message about giving to the church, to missions, to any person, any, any individuals, any organization. It's just a teaching about giving money to God, period. How, when, where, how much? <laughs> if you're not interested in that, just tune me out or sneak out the back or if you're online, hit the off switch because that's all it's gonna be about this morning is just how, when, where, how much to give to God. And I'm gonna be covering a lot of ground, just a broad overview of what the Bible has to say about it. Um, and that's all this is about. If you're not interested, just tune me out. Uh, get your smartphone out and play a game with it or something. So the first thing I wanna share is this. Uh, I don't know how we do on the slides, the first slide, if we can. I wanna make sure we're in tune here. Does it say I'm learning to give money to God with pleasure, not from pressure? That's what this is all about. To give money to God with pleasure, with joy, with fun, not from any kind of pressure. You're not gonna hear any pressure from me this morning. And it's also, I'm gonna cover what it means to be truly successful and prosperous according to the Bible, not according to the world standards. I'll give you some references about that. And again, if it doesn't interest you, just tune me out. Um, I might add this too, in the fall, about this time of year, many churches have what they call Stewardship Sunday, where on that particular Sunday, in many churches, they ask you to sign a pledge card about how much money you will give for that coming year. And if you're not there on Stewardship Sunday, sometimes they'll come to your house the next week and ask you to sign your pledge card. Well, we're not doing that by any means. In fact, I talked with a girl, uh, a woman, just this week. She said she and her husband are dreading uh, Stewardship Sunday coming up. Uh, they just hate it. And they know if they're there, gonna, uh, they're gonna ask to be signed a card. If they're not there, somebody's come to, gonna come to their house the next week, sign a card. Well, we're just not gonna be doing that at all. Uh, no pledge, no surprises at the end. Um, and I, I want you to, I want this to be easy to listen to uh, so you're not gonna feel threatened in any way. So no pledge. Nothing, no surprises at the end of the teaching. Okay, I hope that's fair enough. Because I know how people feel about money. Well, I want to tell you a little about my own history of giving personally. I grew up in a middle-class home. Um, I don't remember God ever being mentioned in my home my entire childhood, except when people would say, God damn it. I heard God's name then, but that was really about it. Um, not much religion, church, anything. 
I only remember being in church twice. Once I went to something called a mass with my grandfather, Christmas time. And uh, I remember when my younger, uh, younger brother was baptized. That's about all I re really remember about church. Um, I never read a Bible, never owned a Bible. I'd seen them, I figured they were just, I don't know what I figured. And I may have attended Sunday school a couple of times when I was a boy. My, I had a brother and sister, older sister and younger brother. Uh, my sister and I attended Sunday school a couple of times because my mother thought it'd be nice if we went with the neighbor kids who went to Sunday school. So we, my mother would give me a quarter or dime or nickel to put in the Sunday school offering plate and we'd walk with our neighbor kids toward the church, but my sister and I would stop off at the elementary school and we'd play on the playgrounds until the other kids got out of Sunday school, we'd walk home, and then we'd take that Sunday school offering money and sneak out the following week and spend it on candy. So, so that's my experience with church, Sunday school, God, Bible. At age 17, I joined the military. I was given a choice right here in Rapid City of either going to the state reform school for some stupid things I had done or going in the military. Well, I was just smart enough to realize the military was probably my best option. So I joined the military at age 17 and a few months later at age 18, I invited Jesus into my life, was born again and became a lifelong follower of Jesus. Um, that was on a Thursday when I was born again. Something inside of me told me I should go to church the next Sunday. I didn't even know what church to look for. I, uh, I found a little church in the town near where I was stationed, had a cross up on top of it, so I figured it was a you know, Christian church. I didn't know what brand it was. I didn't know the word denomination, I just figured brand. Uh, so uh, in the meantime, I also bought a big Bible, one of these big Bibles, about this thick, what they call a family Bible. And so I walked into that church the next Sunday, uh, this skinny 112-year-old kid carrying about a 10-pound Bible, and uh, sat in the back row because I had no clue what to do there. But in the meantime, uh, I could remember as a kid a couple of times thinking this. I don't know why. Why in the world does God need people to give money to him? He doesn't need money. I mean, if there's a God, why would he need people to give money to him? I remember thinking that as a child. So I went to that, that church the following Sunday after I became a believer and there was something inside of me too that said I should give some money to God. I'd never heard about tithing or giving or anything, but I, I just knew inside of me that I should give about 10% of my income to God. I was making $69 a month, so that Sunday morning I gave God $7, 10%. That was the start of my giving, 
and I have been giving to God joyously with excitement for 65 years. Okay. I just want to say this. After living my lifetime, I'm 83 years old now, giving to God for 65 years, givers, generally speaking, givers become old and better. Getters become old and bitter. Just think about that for a while. So I want to give you two key references for this teaching. The first reference is uh, Acts 10.35. Now these are Jesus' words, so if you've got an argument with this, argue with him, not me. You've been taught since you were a baby that it's better to get than to give. We've all been taught that. Our whole world system teaches it's better to get. Whether it's money or food or clothing or money or housing, it's better to get and get and get and not give. If you give, you lose something. Jesus said just the opposite. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed can be translated as, in a sense, almost productive. It's more productive to give than to receive. So take that up with Jesus if you want to argue that point. Just the opposite of what the world has taught you all your life. The next reference is 3 John chapter 2. Now, if I were a good friend of yours, I mean a really good friend, and I called you up and said, hey, I got something really, really, really important I want to tell you. Let's meet at the Pure Bean Bakery or Pure Bean Coffee Shop uh, next week, and I want to tell you this. It's really important. And that's exactly what John, Jesus' disciple, said in this reference. He said, above all else, above everything else, I want you to prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. The Bible says that, not me. The reason I bring up prosper right at this point, we'll talk about it a little more later. Um, there are two types of mentality in the world in terms of money. One of them is to have a mentality of prosperity. The other is a mentality of poverty. Prosperity and poverty have nothing to do with money. We'll see that in a few minutes. Prosperity and poverty have nothing to do with money. It's up here. Poverty and prosperity are right here. In fact, and I think this is more than coincidence, on, uh, on October 16th, 2021, from nine o'clock till noon, I think there's a leaflet back there. I saw one in the men's bathroom. There's going to be a workshop entitled Overcoming a Poverty Mindset. I didn't plan on that, 
But man is, I, boy, if you can make it, go to this. I don't even know who's giving it. I don't know what it's all about. But I love overcoming a poverty mindset because it's up here. It has nothing to do with money. So those two slides, Acts 20.35, I said 10.35, I'm sorry. Acts 20.35 and 3 John 2. Now I want to discuss another important reference, 1 Timothy 6.10, which has been misquoted millions of times. Here's how it's often quoted. Money is the root of all evil. That's a lie. That's just not true. That reference says very clearly that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that word love can be broadly interpreted to say the love of money, the lust for money, or the greedy grasping for money is the root of all evil. Again, I've lived a lot of years on, on planet Earth and I've learned, I've learned a lot about this world and its ways and I've taken courses in economics and I've taught uh, how to get out of debt and I, I do know a lot about money and about economics and I can tell you without any contradiction, the love of money is the root of all evil. In fact, I wrote this just a few minutes ago as I came in. The lust for money is the driving force behind all human evil in this world. The lust for money is the driving force between all human evil in this world. Um, I've learned so much about money it's root of all evil in business, in politics, in economics, in capitalism, in socialism. And it's, it's root of all evil in a lot of religion and a lot of churches too, unfortunately. For example, you do know, you have to know this, millions of people have been killed throughout history because of the lust for money. Millions of people have been enslaved because of the lust for money. Millions of people have spent their entire lives seeking to accumulate money, realizing full well, all of us do, that we're not going to take it, take it with us. We know that, whether we're 10 years old or 80 years old. Yet we keep trying to accumulate it. Millions have spent their entire lives trying to take other people's money away from them. That's what organized crime is all about. And when people do get money, they want more. Somebody asked a billionaire, millionaire recently, I don't remember the whole story, if you, if you, once you get a million dollars, what do you do? I want another million. The love of money is the root of all evil, not just money. Now I'm going to show you three books have to do with money. First one is my Bible. If you don't have one, you can get one from the church or 
I carry some in my pickup to give away. The Bible uses the word money 800 times. It uses the word, other words associated with money 2,300 times. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't say much about money. 2,300 times, something connected with money. It's a major doctrine, a major theme of the Bible. The next book I wanna show you is one of my books. It's called Life Giving. And actually, some of what I'm sharing this morning comes from my book. If I could, I'd give each of you a copy and then you could go home. And some of the classes I'll be teaching later this fall are based on my book. But this is a good book. Uh, a lot of people have responded all over the world and it's helped a lot of people learn how to joyfully um, give money to God. So I recommend my book. The other book I'm gonna show you in just a second, let me give you some background. Uh, in 1947, from the rolling hills of eastern Oklahoma, a young pastor came roaring onto the world scene uh, with some new or rediscovered teaching about healing um, that had been kind of lost for centuries in the church. Well, in addition to bringing that new message of healing, this young pastor also brought a new message about giving to the whole world in 1947. That young pastor's name was Oral Roberts, and he wrote this little book called Miracle of Seed Faith. This book about giving properly and joyfully to God has influenced more teaching than any other teaching about giving since roughly 1950. If you follow a lot of TV preachers or various people who teach about money, most of what they know came from this little book. I reread this every year just to kind of help me stay on target. Well, now you can get all three of these books on Amazon.com, the Bible, my book, Miracle of Seed Faith is out of print, but you can get used copies. And I'm not selling my book, I'm not pushing. All proceeds from the sale of my books go into a special fund where we buy more books to give away and more stuff to give away. So I don't make any money off the, off the sale of my books. Well, essentially, here's what Oral Roberts taught about giving money to God. It was a rediscovery had lost for years. Give money to God as a seed you sow, not as a debt you owe. You do not owe God, oh, you don't owe God any money. You don't owe God anything. We sang about that this morning. You do not owe God any money. Give to God as a seed you sow, not as a debt you owe. 
That's the basic principle that Oral Roberts taught and that many teachers have gleaned from him since. Okay, now I want to discuss briefly success and prosperity as mentioned in the Bible. The first indication of this is in the little book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua 1, chapter, uh, verses 7 through 9, and it talks about success and prosperity. And the Bible thereafter talks about success and prosperity too. Uh, let me define success. Success is steadily and consistently moving toward accomplishing God's purposes for my life according to my potential. And three things make up our potential. Yeah. Success is a journey, not a destination. And it has nothing to do with money. Biblical success, Bible success, has nothing to do with money. Now, prosperity is connected with it. Prosperity is to have enough for my journey, for my success journey. As I'm walking out God's success for my life, according to his purposes for my life, according to my potential, God gives me enough for that journey. And again, it has nothing to do with money, essentially. Now, we all need... We all know that there are three basic essentials, food, clothing, and shelter. And God has promised to meet our necessities. We'll talk about that in a few minutes again. But Bible success and prosperity has nothing to do with money. Now, when you think of success from the world's viewpoint, what do you automatically think of? Money. Bible success is not about money. It's just learning to walk out God's purposes for your life and to prosper is for him to provide enough for your journey. That's it. If it involves money, God will provide it. And I can attest to that after 65 years. So uh, it's basically, again, this prosperity, poverty. It's a mindset, nothing to do with money. And what needs to change if you're dealing with poverty is not to get more money, it's to change your mind. And then God will take some steps to provide for you. Okay, we're... we're we're going quickly, I'm covering a lot of stuff here. Um, next, I wanna just show you three basic slides just in succession now. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Never fall prey to the lie that you are wise and learned and you've made your own wealth in life. Bible's very clear. God gives power to create wealth. No human creates their own wealth without God's power. You may say what you want to about Bill Gates or all of these millionaires. They haven't done it by themselves. 
And I'm not going to argue about that either. The next uh, reference is uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, where Jesus said, uh, if I hoard wealth in this life, it can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth and treasures eventually rust, decay, and lose their value. Instead, I need to stockpile treasures that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, and lose their value. My heart will always pursue what I value as my treasure. Where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be. You've, you've heard that quoted before. I've just kind of modernized it here. I think of moth and rust and that sort of thing as inflation, depression, recession. And I'm telling you that if you put your heart where it needs to be, place your treasures where they need to be, you will not personally be affected by inflation, depression, or recession. Depends on where your heart's at. The guy next door to you may be affected by inflation, depression, or recession, but it won't affect you if your heart's in the right place. Then Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, at some point, we all need to sort out our needs and our wants. Sometimes they're one and the same, but not always. God has promised to meet our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can argue that. Well, he's never met all of my needs. Well, we'll get to that and see why that might be the case. But if he's met your needs for food, clothing, and shelter, those are the three basic needs for every human. And if you've got food, clothing, and a shelter, God has met your needs. The next slide, uh, I just want to throw in, well, God asked me to throw this in, see what he wants to say about it. Um, to be a successful giver, that's the next slide, First um, Corinthians 8, 15, to be a successful giver in the sense that I've shared already, we must first surrender our lives to God or turn over our lives to God, dedicate our lives to God. This whole giving stuff doesn't work if your life really isn't surrendered to God. Because you and God then begin to think alike and act alike and he knows what your needs are and you talk things over and, and he provides for you. But there must be surrender, dedication to God. I did that on that Thursday way back when I was 18 years old. I committed my life to God and he's taken care of me ever since. So you have to, I guess you have to decide for yourself whether or not you have committed your life to God. Um, that's up to you. Another reference I want to take a look at now is Psalm 37. 
running out of time here. This is a psalm that's quoted many times. It's a beautiful psalm. Here's what it says. I don't get stressed out and fret because of evildoers, not envious. I trust God, commit my life to God. I rest in God. I wait patiently for God to act. Uh, when I do these things, he gives me the desires of my heart. You've, some of you have memorized and quoted that. But I also know that a lot of people say, that doesn't work. I've memorized that, I've quoted that, but it hasn't really worked. God hasn't given me the desires of my heart. Well, the reality there is you have to line up your desires with God's desires. It's that simple. If you're out here desiring this and God's desiring this, doesn't work. That's why that doesn't work for a lot of people. Okay, very quickly, what is money? Money is merely a medium of exchange, just a tool. Let, let me show you something. This is money. And I have a quarter and a penny here. It's money. Just paper or kind of a cloth paper and just metal cheap metal actually there's no value to this stuff you get 10 of these you get a $10 piece of paper it's no value you get 10 10s you get a $100 piece of paper no value I mean in and of itself there's no value here money in itself has no value it's only a medium of exchange that, that different governments and different societies use um, Jesus uh, well, I don't have time to discuss it here. Many people are actually threatened by money, thinking that somehow this piece of paper is evil and is going to try to trap you, do something bad with your life. There are many people, and you may be some of them, I don't know, who feel that actually I need to stay away from this stuff it's more spiritual or more holy or more godly to be poor, to not have a lot of this stuff. It's just paper. It's not going to hurt you. Don't be threatened by it. That's, that's my whole point. Okay, moving on. Um, I want to discuss four T's. Next slide. Um, what should we give to God? Four things. Time, talent, treasure. And in my case, I'm a teacher, so time, talent, treasure, and teaching. That's what God wants us to give to him. Not just money. Our time, our talent, our treasure, that's money, and our teaching. And then Jesus talked about this thing called mammon. You remember that? You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon was the Syrian God of riches. If you were a Syrian, you probably had a little statue of mammon in your house and you worship mammon. That was the Syrian God of money. And God said, you can't worship that little statue or me together. It's one or the other. You can't worship God and mammon. Well, you have to make that choice. We all have to make that choice. Are we going to worship God or mammon. 
I like this about money. The next slide, if it's up there. Yeah. Money's like cow manure. If you pile it up, it stinks. If you spread it around, it helps things grow. Isn't that neat? I learned, I'd have heard that a long time ago. Okay, now the biggie. Let's go to Luke 6.38 on the slide. Why give money to God? He doesn't need it. It's just paper and metal. Here's the big one. God wants us to give money to him so that we can receive back from him. And I guarantee that many of you have been taught one way or another that it's wrong to think we should receive, expect to receive money back from God when we give to him. I know you've been taught that. I was taught that. I have to tell you that's a lie. It's just a lie. Luke 6.38 is just a representative reference to scores of other ones in the Bible. And here's what it says. I'll paraphrase it. Give to God. He'll give back to you. And he'll, it's like putting it in a big bushel basket. He'll stomp it down and press it down and stomp it again. He'll give back to you with the same measuring stick, measuring cup that you give, that's the measuring cup he'll use to give back to you. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. It's a lie if you've been taught that you should not expect to receive back from God when you give to God. That's how he provides for us, by giving back to us at our points of need. Many other references there. Uh, I'll just give you a couple of important ones uh, that have to do with Luke 6.38. One is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, and 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 11. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up now. How to give money to God. And that'll be the slide with the tyrants on it. There are three tyrants that will always seek to control your giving. Overwhelming needs, urgency, and emotional appeals. If you give based on those three tyrants, there'll just always be another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And you've all seen it on television, TV preachers, and in churches, different situations where if you don't give now, 100,000 children are gonna die. Or if you don't give now, the whole world is gonna go to hell. Or if you don't, whatever. Those are emotional, urgent appeals of overwhelming needs. You can never meet them. Just if you're giving at all on the basis of those three would-be tyrants, stop it. Okay, three tyrants, three easy principles of giving. I have followed these for 65 years. Number one, ask God. Now there's a condition there. A lot of people don't know that you can ask God and they'll answer. 
Jesus spoke very clearly. He said in John chapter 10, four, four times, my sheep hear my voice. Are you one of his sheep? You can hear his voice. There are five ways that God speaks to people primarily. Uh, I won't go into those. You can come to my class. We'll cover that. But God does speak. God will answer if you ask him. God, do you want me to give? Give. He'll answer you. But you have to ask him. Now, second thing, once he asks, once he answers you, if he says no, forget about it. You don't have to feel guilty. However, he may say yes to your question. If he says yes, here's the big one, obey him. It's really that simple. Ask, listen, obey. Obey. 